church as the present expression of the kingdom. I read a text to you and out of Matthew chapter 16. And then I read a scripture to you out of Hebrews chapter 12. Matthew 16, he told Peter and his disciples that he would give them the keys of the kingdom, or that he did. He gave them the keys of the kingdom. And then he mentions that we have received a kingdom which cannot be moved. This is, this is a theme of Scripture over and over and over again. In the Old Testament, it speaks to the coming kingdom. And then when Christ comes, there's someone that comes before him and by the name of John the Baptist, who is to prepare the way for the king to come. He prepares for him. When he comes, he comes as king. He's the one that they've been looking for to rescue, that will come to save, to deliver us from our enemies. So that and when they went out to preach, John will call the nation to repentance. And the basis for that repentance is repent. The kingdom of heaven's at hand. Repent. The king is here. The kingdom is here. And you've got an opportunity to be able to join up in that kingdom and become a citizen of it. You're outside of it. You're living in rebellion against the king. And the king has come and wants to reconcile. Want you to be reconciled unto him. Repent of your attitude toward the king. Repent of your attitude towards yourself. You've thought yourself something when you were nothing. You've thought him nothing when he was something. And you should repent towards the king and toward yourself and toward others. Change your attitude towards God and turn your heart back to him. And turn to his wisdom and turn to his righteousness. And this was a theme of the early church. It's a principal theme of the gospel of Matthew as the king comes. And it was a principal theme of Luke as well. He speaks about the kingdom of God. And when we come to the book of Acts, it's still a theme in the book of Acts. Philip went down to Samaria. And scripture says when they believed him, preaching the things of the kingdom of God. All in all again, it is this business of the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. When we come to the book of Revelation and we see him finally returning at the end, he comes as a king, seated on a white horse, many crowns upon his head, many crowns upon his head. He doesn't come to be crowned. He's already crowned when he comes. He doesn't come to be enthroned. He's already been enthroned. He was rejected as the king. The second Psalm spoke about it. The, the kings of the earth and the rulers took counsel together against the Lord and against his anointing, saying, let's cast their bands asunder. We don't need their boundaries. We don't need them to tie our hands. Let's, let's, let's break their cords and cast their bands away from us. We don't want to be tied down by God's laws. We don't want to be tied down by God's rules and God's restrictions. We can make our own rules. Well, it didn't go too well for them. The very king they rejected, God said on the throne. The stone the builders rejected was made the headstone of the corner. And they turned their backs on, on the Lord and the, the prototype had already been given. They turned their backs on Joseph and his brothers rejected him and God made him king over his brothers. They turned their backs on Moses, wouldn't have nothing to do with him, and God made him their king. <laughs> Come on. And folks have turned their back on Jesus. God still made him king. In this church that you and I, I live in, in this age, Jesus has come to, to gather out of the nations a people called to his kingdom, called to his name, to do his business, called out from this world to do the king's business. We are presently the present expression of the kingdom of God as the church so that before the kingdom comes in its fullness, the Lord comes with a herald first. He comes with an announcement beforehand. He gives men an opportunity to repent and change their attitude towards the king, toward his laws, towards themselves, towards his kingdom. And if they'll repent, they can come into it and be a part of it. 
so that they can avoid the day of wrath. So that before he could institute the kingdom, he must bring a day of wrath and purge the earth of sin. But before he brings the day of wrath, he gives a day of grace and says, would you come to the kingdom? I open up the door to you. I extend the invitation and command you to repent and call you to come and surrender to the authority of the king. You'll see many parables that speaks to it throughout the scriptures. And we shared some of those things with you in this, uh, in this, in this message on Sunday morning. But tonight I, I want to follow with that. And as we look at this idea of you and I as the church, just how is it that we demonstrate the kingdom? How is it that we reveal? How is it that the kingdom is seen among us as the people of God? And so I want to drive that home. I'm going to just tell you up front, I intend to shake you up. I don't intend for you to hear any of this and come out and say, well, that was uh, uh, easy. You know, I, I, I want to say, well, I think I need to tighten up a little bit. These are perilous times. Yeah. These are difficult times. Right. I, I thank the Lord. I had, a, had a, a man come and stop by the last couple of days dealing with some issues with uh, looking at our, our internet service here and the future at our, our church, future church. And he said, there's one thing I've looked forward to. I come all the way from Rocky Mountain to work this way every day. He said, I look forward to reading that your church sign. And he said, I'm telling you, there have been many times I read and say, that kind of hurt. <laughs> well, if you never say anything that shakes folks up, you never make a difference. If everything we preach is always received with a sense of mellowness and suaveness and, and softness, then we'll never make any impact upon this world. There's got to be a message, especially today, that wakes up the church and says, hey, let's get our priorities straight. Hey, let's look where we are. Let's see who God called us to be. Because the brother said it tonight, Jesus is coming. He is soon to be here. And you and I don't have much time to work and get it right and do what God's called us to do. So how is this kingdom seen? I'm going to submit to you. We're going to be looking at three principal passages and dealing with those. The first is going to be one found in, in Luke 17. You can turn your Bible there. I'm going there now. In Luke 17, in just a moment, I'm going to read that to you. I preached a whole series here a while back, but I'm going to just go back there to draw this one present, this one principle, rather. The second thing is, is that we'll look at a verse a little later in Romans chapter 14. It talks about, it says, The kingdom is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. We're going to take a new look at that. And then there's a verse of Scripture found in Matthew chapter 12 that speaks to, Jesus said, if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, the kingdom has come to you. So how can we see the kingdom? How is the kingdom visible in the presence of God's people in this hour? The first way the kingdom is visible, I want to deal with out of Luke chapter 17 and verse 20. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God should come. Now they're looking for the kingdom, correct? We want to know when the kingdom's coming. We're looking for the kingdom. This is what the Jews, I've told you before. This is what the Jews have been promised. This is what they've been looking for. It was referred to, not in the Bible, but by them. And, and as I've read uh, uh, different times and among uh, uh, commentaries, that the Jews called this the golden age. They were looking for that golden age, uh, the coming of the kingdom of the Messiah. And here is that same crowd. And Jesus said this. He answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. That idea is, of course, the word observation is a word that is, um, uh, it means this idea of a, a speculating, critical observance, a scrupulous watching for, the, for something as if you are analyzing and, 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 and measuring and, 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 and looking at various things so that you can see how all this thing comes together. The, uh, this word is only used here, but in a verb form, it's found other places in the scripture, and it's always used in a negative sense. 
In other words, Jesus is telling them, first of all, you've got a critical spirit. You've got a negative spirit. Can I tell you something with a critical and negative spirit, you'll never find truth? You already are cynical. You've already got your prejudice uh, blinding your eyes. And so you're not looking for truth. You're just looking for some way you can criticize something. You're just looking for how that you can do it. Uh, uh, take what somebody says uh, and you can find something that's wrong with it somewhere. A critical spirit will never get you truth. It all, it's already indicates a prejudice and a blindness that is upon the heart. And Jesus telling them already, you fellas are a bunch of critics. You're a bunch of scrupulous men that are looking. You're just looking for something to criticize me. You want to make some argument and some debate about this. You know, you get folks to get around that and when they feel the conviction of the spirit they, they want to talk religion but never about the things that matter they always want to get you started on some kind of peripheral uh, concept you know and, and that's why uh, you get like with the oneness folks or whatever now they'll get around you know first thing they want to talk about is well how do you baptize hey look buddy I, you know you can sit there and argue all day long about how you baptize was yours in water did you get wet well glory to God amen I'd like to talk about something that's more deeper. That's, that's important. I'm not just saying that it's not, but I'm telling you, we like to get sidetracked. We want to get over on side issues because our spirit isn't right. Our heart doesn't want truth. And we're critical and we're cynical and, and we're negative. And you cannot, Jesus says, you're never going to know the kingdom of God like that. The kingdom of God's not going to come to a critical spirit or by your observation and your scrutiny observance. He said, neither shall they say, lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. you. I've preached this numerous times here. Literally, the kingdom of God is among you. This is the better translation. It is among you. Obviously, Christ, it's obvious from the passage that Christ is not going to look to a bunch of uh, cynical, uh, uh, skeptical, negative Pharisees and tell them the kingdom of God was in them. They were so far from the kingdom of God that it was all messed up, all right? The kingdom of God wasn't in them, but the kingdom was within their midst. The kingdom of God was among them, and he was standing right there. You see, they couldn't see the forest for the trees. They couldn't see the kingdom of God was already there. They're looking for a sign. They're looking for this. They're looking for that, that they can measure it by, and the kingdom stare them in the face. The king, because wherever the king is, you've got the kingdom because I'll tell you, whatever this kingdom has, name its resources, name its people. Oh, hallelujah. Wherever you find the king, you're going to find the kingdom and the kingdom of God was standing right in the middle of that crowd and they didn't even recognize it. I wonder sometimes how many times God has been right there with us. His presence is there. His principle is there. His glory is there. His help is there. But because our spirit was out of sort, because we wasn't in sync with what God was doing we couldn't find it we couldn't see it because we were all twisted up and got in a wrong frame of mind I'm here to tell you something tonight that the presence of the king is a manifestation of the kingdom and the first way that the church can demonstrate that to this world that God we're in the kingdom is that Jesus Christ is in our midst and his presence is manifested among us this presence is seen in the church in three ways. Number one, and I'm just going to deal with this one tonight. Number one is presence is seen in employment. Employment. I'd like you to take your Bibles. If you want to, you can turn with me and mark it. I'm going to read them. I want to read the five uh, places in the scripture uh, for in, the, in each gospel in the book of Acts that give what we call the Great Commission. Many people just read Matthew's account and call that the Great Commission. That was, but when you, you have to take all of the accounts and put them together because the Great Commission involved much more than many people think. I want you to know 
know, and I, I've even read some writers, or I, actually, yes, I have read some men. I, I was doing a little debating with one one time on a, on a, a Bible study group um, that uh, he believed that commission is in Matthew 28 was only for them, was only for those apostles. And uh, I'm going to read that tonight and show you that's an impossibility. Um, but I want you to know that this commission of Jesus Christ, after I read these accounts to you, has absolutely not changed. You and I have got a job to do in this world. We have been commissioned of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you get saved, it's not to be a loafer. When you get saved, it's not to be a, a, a someone who's just there to, to draw the blessings of God so that you become a depository of God's blessings. God didn't make you a pond, all right? God didn't make you to be a cistern. He made us to be a riverbed. We're to be a channel so that the blessings of God can flow through us, not in us, so that we just keep it all, love it all, relish it all, and spit on the world that doesn't have it. No, sir, I'll tell you what we have. We're supposed to be a people who let ourselves simply be a channel through which God can pour out his grace, and that grace will flow out to a life that has never felt the touch of God and needs to repent and turn. Oh, what a great privilege that God has given to men. A day of wrath is coming, and I'm telling you, I feel like I can feel the heat off of it. I feel like I can feel the winds of it already begin to blow. I hear the sound of a coming day of judgment, and God is offering yet an opportunity for some men and women to repent and come and be a citizen of the coming kingdom. Save yourself from this untoward generation and from the wrath that is soon to come. Let me read to you. Let me read to you these accounts and make some comments upon them and draw from them one principle that I want to hone in on tonight. Now, what am I stressing here? You look for it, all right? I'm stressing for how we manifest the presence of Christ. His presence is seen in employment. He is our employer. Understand that? He's employed us to do something. He didn't save you just to be happy. He saved you to work and to labor. You've got something that's got to be done. And it's the role of this church. Now listen. Matthew 28, verse 18 through verse 20. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach. I'm literally going to give you the word that you know this. I've preached this. Disciple is the word here. It's the Greek or verb for the Greek word, which is, means disciple. Go ye therefore and disciple all nations. Let me put another word for nations. That word nations is fine. It's translated that way several times, but it is also more frequently translated as Gentiles. Go ye therefore and disciple all Gentiles, baptizing them in or into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Teaching, now this word is a different word for teach, which means literally to instruct. Teaching them to observe or to keep, guard all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Not the end of the world and that the cosmos is going to end and there's not going to be any more earth. That's not going to happen. The Greek word here is the word that is better interpreted as age. That there's a period of time. There's an age that you and I are living in right now. Call it the church age. Call it the age of grace. Call it whatever you want to. But it's bounded by that between that first and second coming of Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, he says that I'm with you under the end of the age. Now I can tell you now, the apostles may not have seen that far ahead and the group that was listening to that, but Jesus isn't ignorant, all right? He wasn't foolish in what he was giving. He knew what he was saying, and he knew that age was going to go beyond the disciples. It's going to go beyond the apostles. It's going to outlive them. It's going to outlive Paul. It's going to outlive Peter. It's going to outlive Timothy. It's going to outlive John, all of them. And Jesus didn't say, I'll be with you until the apostles.
apostles die. He didn't say, I'll be with you until all of you folks are gone and the grave has covered you in. No, I'm going to be with you till the age is over. That means I'm still in that age and that Jesus is still with us. The promise of Christ to be with the church in fulfilling this commission is present and alive right here and right now. His promise. We look at this many times and say, and we quote that scripture, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. We quote it as something that's with us in our trials. Now, God's with you in your trials. He's a present help in time of trouble. No doubt about that. There's plenty of scriptures that indicate in your valley, God is with you. In your difficult hour, God is with you. But that's not the context here. The context is not God being with you to comfort you. The context is God being with us to help us. In other words, he doesn't send us forth and say, go it alone. He didn't tell us to go out and preach the gospel and say, it's up to you. He said, go and preach, make disciples, and I'm going with you. Mark chapter 16, verse 15 through 20. And he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. These signs shall follow them that believe. Now let's just quickly get it. Here is the commission to go. Notice the first one in Matthew said, go, teach, make disciples, teach. Emphasized teaching. This part, also spoken during that time of the commission, is to go and doesn't emphasize teaching, it emphasizes preaching. The first one says, make disciples. Teach them, train them, perfect them. Bring them until they're they're faithful followers of Jesus Christ and they've grown and matured to be a mature disciple. But this, the emphasis is preaching because both are part of the commission. We thought the commission was only to tell the gospel. Commission involves more than telling the gospel. The commission involves making disciples. That's the point. But you got to win them before you can disciple them. You got to preach to them before you can teach them. But he said, I want you to preach the gospel to every creature. The man that believes, this is the key, the man that believes what you've got to say, manifest that belief essentially by being baptized. Being baptized becomes the very evidence of his belief because it's obedience to the commands. If he says he believes but he's not willing to be baptized, he doesn't believe. He doesn't believe because believing, biblical believing results in obedience. And baptizing, being baptized, is an act of obedience to the commands of Christ. It's part of the discipling process. In other words, you preach the gospel to him. And if he says he believes the gospel, but he doesn't want to start the discipleship process, then I'm telling you, he didn't believe. Notice what he said. He that believeth not shall be damned. He didn't say he that believeth and is not baptized shall be damned. He said he that believeth not because baptism was a result of believing. And these signs, now he speaks to these signs. In my name they shall cast out devils and they shall speak with new tongues. Those first two deal with, with two principles. Number one, that the kingdom is superior. I just want to note a few things as I go through this. That the kingdom of God is superior and it doesn't have any negotiations with the devil. It doesn't come to cooperate with the devil. It doesn't come to work alongside the kingdom of darkness. you got to cast that kingdom out before this kingdom can get in. And you're going to find out wherever this kingdom goes, it goes with power. If there's a heart that wants to come into this kingdom, let me tell you something. Then there's enough power to cast out the kingdom. God doesn't ask the devil to leave. Jesus doesn't came and beg the devil to leave. He doesn't plead with him and say, I'll give you a candy bar. I'm make things nice for you if you'll just leave. I really need this one. Please let me have this one. Oh no sir by an act of force, by an authoritative declaration, by an act of power. He cast him out and said it's my house. Get out of it. I made it and I'll take it. Here's one that wants to be in my kingdom and you no longer got any place. I've defeated you. Glory to the Lamb of God. And he puts the devil out because it's now his vessel. And let me tell you where the kingdom goes. 
It doesn't bargain with the enemy. It doesn't find common ground with the enemy. It casts him out because this kingdom stands alone. These are signs. Casting out of the devil is a sign that this kingdom is superior to every other kingdom. I'm telling you, if you can cast out the devil, you can cast out anything. Hello? If you can cast him out, it don't matter what else is in the life, buddy. There's power to cast that out, I'm sure. I promise you there is. Second thing he said, they'll speak with new tongues. This is a sign. A sign. The tongues were a sign of submission. Here's a people that possess superior power to the kingdom of darkness. Why? Because they're in submission to the Holy Spirit. They speak with other tongues. That wasn't for entertainment purposes. It wasn't for debate purposes. It wasn't for the church to argue about. It wasn't for the church to bicker about. It wasn't for the church to say whether or not they liked it. Hello? It wasn't for the church to say whether or not they thought it was smart or wise. It wasn't for the church to analyze and to tear apart and to find something to nitpick about. It was a sign that death kingdom, these people are yielded to the power of the Holy Spirit, that he can speak to them. They're so yielded and trusting in him, they'll yield their tongue to him. They'll yield their whole being to them. They'll give themselves, oh glory to the Lamb of God. They'll give themselves to him. This is a sign. This kingdom's marching through the land. Glory to God. These believers are marching through the land and they shut out the devil and they open up to the Holy Ghost. They kick out the kingdom of darkness and say, Lord, let me live in the light of your presence. And then he gives three signs that I think go together and deal with the service, the idea of serving. They take up serpents and they drink any deadly thing. It shall not harm them or hurt them. And they shall lay hands on the sick and literally they shall be well. They shall recover. They shall be well. They shall be good that their hands are laid upon them. Here's the idea that when this kingdom goes forth, it goes forth and... And there are things that will try to stop it. But in the, in the course of serving and laboring, there's some folks that aren't going to like what they do as they work. You'll never have to worry about the devil slipping something in your drink if you're not doing anything to offend his kingdom. Amen? You don't have to worry about the devil trying to shut you down as long as you're not doing anything to shut him down. But when you're active, when you're working, when you're making progress against the kingdom of darkness, when you're bringing people and rescuing them from that kingdom of darkness and you're pulling them out, when your prayers are making an impact upon the course of families, upon the course of a church, oh, hallelujah, when sin is being stymied, when the kingdom of darkness is getting upset because they got shut down through the work of the saint of God. And let me tell you something, he's going to try and stop you, but God said the runs Unstoppable. Hallelujah. Oh, let the serpent bite. Let the poison sting. But it will do them no harm. They will march through until God is done with them. And God will be the one who determines their end and not a pagan culture that they live in. The serpent and the poison will not determine how we die. Our lives will not be in the hand of natural causes. Our lives will be in the hand of the master. Yeah. Hallelujah. Who will take care of us. And our work is one of serving and laboring that brings opposition to the kingdom but reaches out in compassion to the hurting and those that are sick and those that are afflicted, those whose bodies are wracked with, with, with pain or difficulty, whatever it is, we lay hands on them. We become the agents of God. We are not some that we possess as something independent of God, but again, in laying our hands, the hand the serpent tries to bite, hallelujah, will take that same hand and lay it on the head of somebody and God will touch them we can become a channel we become an instrument because that's what God's doing he's marching through the land we're headed to the coming of the kingdom of God come ye that will and hear what thus saith the word of the Lord come and reason together though your sins be as scarlet they shall be as white as snow hallelujah He said, so then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven 
He sat on the right hand of God and they went forth and preached everywhere. Notice this, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. The signs came because they believed, but the signs were performed. The man was the agent, but the sign was performed by the Lord who's working with them. We're struggling with that today. Let's just face it. This is a struggle. This is a thing with us. We read it and we're struggling with it. I think it might be happening more among us and we sometimes realize God hadn't abandoned us. God hadn't abandoned this church. There may be some things that, that we've struggled with, but we're here. <laughs> Woo, hallelujah. There have been some sicknesses, but they haven't shut us down. There have been some infirmities, but we're still here. Oh, praise the Lord. Yes, sir. I've asked God to keep us. I, I may be crazy. I'm not phoning off on anybody. I'm not. I, I just been my prayer. God, I'm asking you to keep this church from COVID. I asked in the beginning. I didn't want anybody to get sick, but some folks got sick. I was one of them. But I said, God, I don't want anybody to die from that in this church. I, I want your hand to be upon us. I'm not, I'm not phoning off on anybody. I'm not doing that. But I'm just telling you it's a prayer. I believe the Lord wants to answer. Somewhere you got to step out and say, Lord, I'm tired. I'm tired. Tired of that mess getting the upper hand. I'm tired of something that they're using for some political uh, wand or political stick to beat us with. I want to know that my God is greater than COVID. I want this world to know that my God is greater than the things of this world. I'm not throwing off on someone that may succumb to it and die. It may be their time, but somewhere I don't want her to leave a mark on this church. I don't want her to be seen that COVID has changed us. Or COVID has destroyed us. Or COVID has taken us out. Who is with us? Who's walking in our midst? Who lives among us? It is none other than the King of glory. And he will confirm his word. Luke 24, verse 46. And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things, and behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. This might be something we're struggling with here. It might be why there's a lack of Mark 16 being seen. Because a part of this commission was that you don't go out to do it until you've received my spirit. Hello. If we're still battling with that concept, we're not going to fulfill this commission. If we're struggling with that experience and we're not being able to utilize and or be fully used by the Spirit because we have submitted and surrendered ourselves to the baptizing in the Holy Ghost and letting the Spirit have full sway in our life, that it might be that that's part of the problem, but part of the commission was impartation. And not an impartation that comes from some fancy charismatic preacher, some fancy preacher that wants to stand up on TV and said, I'm going to impart to you this and I'm going to impart to you that. I'm going to be honest with you, you can keep his parts, all right? I don't want none of his imparts or imports or anything else. I have no interest in that. I take what Jesus imparts. I take what he sends. He sends the Holy Ghost. Let me have him. Let me be filled with him because that's how the work's going to be done. Jesus said, I'm going away, but I'll send you another comforter. Hallelujah. That he may be with you always. I'm going to send you one who will teach you, who will empower you. You cannot fulfill this commission without power. You can't go out and preach without my power. And if you're going to fulfill this commission, you've got to receive the spirit of the living God upon you. We jumped the gun on the Lord. And our results are limited because we've not been endued with power. This idea of endued is the word clothed. Whew, glory to the Lamb of God. I think you ought to think on that a little bit. Clothed with power. 
God's going to, Holy Spirit's going to come on you like a garment. Going to come down over you like a, a robe, if you will. A kingly sort of robe. But what is it to be clothed with power? Whatever clothes you identifies you. Your clothing alone preaches. Your clothing will betray your station in life. Unless you're trying to hide something. There's some folks who got money galore and go around dressing like bums. I mean, I understand that, but they're, they're, they're touched, all right? Most folks just got it, don't mind showing it in uh, some regards. But there's folks that, that do that, and, you know, they, it's because they want to deceive the world. They want you to think they're poor so that you can have pity on them when in actuality they got money running out their ears. And uh, I just don't buy that mess. All right, you watch a person long enough and you'll figure out what they got. But nevertheless, I'm telling you that this idea is that uh, uh, this power and clothing, when you look at the, the Bible, talks about the Lord, that he's clothed with majesty. He's clothed with strength. Your clothing preaches something about you. It says something about you. It can say that you're, you're a person of modest means or, or that you're wealthy. Your clothing can say that your body is for display or your body is sacred and it's not meant to be displayed. Your clothing can say that, hey, I'm on the job and I'm, I'm working, I, I'm doing mechanics work or I'm doing this. Or, or your clothing can say I'm a businessman and I, I've got a, a place where I'm working in a professional atmosphere, a, a, a white collar worker or whatever, blue collar workers dress different than white collar workers. We, we care about how our soldiers dress. We don't want them just wearing civilian clothes. Your clothing was so important. As a matter of fact, the, the rules of war used to be, I don't know how they do now, but the rules of war in, in the time of the marriage or for independence that if you went behind enemy lines and you got caught and you were in civilian clothes but you were a soldier you were treated as a spy and if you're treated you're caught as a spy you were typically hung that was that was your end you, you may remember Major John Andre that became uh, uh, his thing he was working with Benedict Arnold to turn West Point over to the English and to, uh, 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 to basically give the war to England and to battle to them I think God got involved in that business and shut it down. But Major John Andre got hung because he was treated as a spy. He was caught in civilian clothes behind the line. Your clothes preach. When an officer comes up to you and he's in a patrol car, I'm telling you what, you wouldn't think too much of it if he got out of his patrol car with sunglasses and tank top shorts and flip flops. We'd be looking at that dude and say, what planet did you come off of? I know you're driving a state police car, but you are no state police. We expect clothing. We expect a uniform. If you're going to carry the role and you're going to have the authority, wear clothes that speak of that authority. Oh, come on now. We've got much, not much authority in this world. If we go out in the midst of that culture and we dress like them and we look like them and we're half naked like them, we've got no authority. We've got no power to be able to condemn them and convict them and draw them to the kingdom of God. It's only when that Holy Ghost who makes us holy will sanctify us and come upon us. Let our clothing speak of the fact that we live and exercise the authority of the King of Glory. Woo! Power. The church in its presence ought to project power. Not the power of entertainment. Not the power of magic or some kind of unscrupulous activity. The power that convicts the power that makes a man think about God. Yeah, come on, man. I was thinking about Jesus. When you, got about Je when you got in the presence of Jesus, you didn't think about donkeys and horses. Without putting in a modern day vernacular, when you got in the presence of Jesus, I mean, your mind didn't go to your car. Your mind went to your moral responsibility. 
your mind went to your to the sense that hey I'm accountable to God this man reminds me of God he is God and I'm present somewhere we need power and he said the spirit's going to come on you like clothing he's going to clothe you with power glory oh he's got to so fill your vessel so when you get out I'm going to tell you you won't have to say anything right off just the power of your presence will project to them a conviction of their sin a conviction of their wickedness I know the world is hard and only says we need more power glory to the Lamb of God it's not a time for us to throw off and say oh well it ain't for today it's a time to say I got a job to do and I need God to invest me and clothe me with the Holy Ghost and to suggest anything else is arrogant John 20, verse 21. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. That's a command. It's literally receive Holy Ghost. He speaks of the Spirit of God as he is a person and not some immaterial force. It's as if I would look at you and say, receive that pastor. Receive that man. Which means I mean for this, I mean you to open your arms and open your heart. Listen to what they've got to say. And don't be critical and cynical and doubtful. You open yourself up to them. You receive them. That's what he's saying. Receive Holy Ghost. He's coming. He's got your best interest at heart. He's coming to glorify me. He's come to teach you. He's coming to give you power. He's coming to give you strength. He's coming to be your lawyer, your advocate. That's what comforter meant. I know the Spirit of God can comfort us in trouble, but the indication more so in Scripture many times is not so much the idea of a solace. It's not the idea of someone who makes us feel better. It's the idea of someone who pleads our case for us. He's an advocate. He's a lawyer. Whoa, glory. You're in the world's court every day. You're in the devil's courtroom every day. And every day he's accusing you. Every day he's bringing you before his tribunal. And he wants to push you down. He wants to put guilt on you. He wants to make you feel like you're nobody. He wants to make you feel like you have no meaning. I got an advocate. Hallelujah. I think one thing, if you just receive your law, the Holy Ghost he'll take your case up and say it's time for you to go devil if you submit yourself to God and resist the devil he will flee from you but by our attitude the devil gets to hang around because of our attitude of faithfulness and not receiving the Holy Ghost because our only concept of the Holy Ghost is to shout us in a church service is to make us feel good. That's a comfort. Man, I don't need to feel good. I need someone to punch the devil out and move him. That'll make me feel real good. Hallelujah. Because I'm weary of his ways. I'm weary of his words. I'm weary of his mess. I'm trying to do the work of God. And it's a constant distraction. And I'd like God to shut him up once in a while and just move him out. And I'm here to tell you I got an advocate. I've got a lawyer. I got someone to take up my case and say that's enough. Here's the case. He's mine. He's done nothing wrong. Whoever God justifies is justifies. Who is he that condemns? It is God that justifieth. Let the Lord be God. And if God is for you, who can be against you? Then he says, Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. That's a powerful thing that the church has thrown out the window. It's part of this commission. You receive Holy Ghost. He's in authority. We don't want that kind of judgment today. But there's the kind of judgment that says, hey, you ought to sink with God's word. You're not living right. You're not obedient to the faith. You got the wrong spirit. You're lost. Church has the power to make that authoritative declaration. If they're fulfilling that commission, if they're Staying right on that book, hallelujah, 
And we can look at men and women and say, you're right and you're wrong. Not that we determine that for them, but that we can recognize it through the Holy Ghost and the application of the Word of God. I'm telling you, Peter wasn't on a guessing game when Ananias and Sapphira came in and when he told them it's over for you, it was over for them. They didn't get a reprieve. They didn't get a chance to turn around and make it right. Their sins were retained and that was the end of it. This is not some Catholic concept that says we can absolve men of their sins. We can go into some booth and let them confess and we can, we can pardon them. That's not the idea. God alone forgives sin. But there is a decisiveness. There is a fellowship. There is a unity that the church possesses. And that we can declare unto people, particularly when they went through a discipline process, particularly when we followed the word of God and disciplined them, and they've rejected the church, they've rejected the love of the church, the reason of the Holy Ghost. And I'm telling you, we can look at them then and tell them, you're still in your sin, buddy. I'm, I'm telling you, we don't like that anymore. But there's things uh, by which the church can make judgments. Uh, I know there's some fine lines sometimes, uh, but most of the time we're able to look. Uh, and when people come in, uh, if they make a clear mark, they're unwilling to submit to the rule of Christ. We don't say, well, I hope you make it. We don't say, well, sir, ma'am, maybe there's another way. Maybe God can have mercy on you. Maybe he will have mercy on you, but you still got to repent. And I'm here to tell you, when you have declared yourself to be in opposition to the commands of Christ, then the church had the power to declare to you, your sins are still with you. You are still in your sin. Peter looked at that man at Simon down in Samaria and said I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity thy money perish with thee your heart is not right in the sight of God where's that power in the church today we become so mushy mouthed I'm not talking about a critical people don't you get me wrong I'm not talking about folks go around examining everybody and just be what we call a bunch of fruit inspectors. I'm talking about we're trying to fulfill our mission here. And I'm going to tell you something. There's got to be a way you can know you're in and a way you can know you're out. There's got to be some security in this thing. I can't be guessing about whether or not I'm in the kingdom. I can't be giving people some sense that, that their, their salvation hinges on some kind of a little thing by, by, by which that it's, it's a guessing game. It's a maybe so and that it's so frail and it's so fragile that, it, that you just really got to walk on thin ice all the time. I'm not interested in a salvation where I've got to walk around all the time wondering if I'm right. Wonder if I'm going to make it. I didn't go sell anything. I got to have some confidence. I got to have some sense within me that says I know in whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Somewhere I've got to be able to stand up and say I'm on my way to glory. There's a crown laid up. I've fought a good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. Somewhere there's got to rise in us. John said I've written these things that you may know that you believe and that you may know that you have eternal life. Hallelujah. Woo! Praise the Lord. When the commands of God are clear and I find somebody doesn't want to submit to them, I got no problem telling them, you're lost. Your sins are with you. You have not a heart for God. I have no problem telling the person at the same time. Though they may be struggling if they've manifested a heart for God. They're struggling with some things, but they're pressing. They're seeking to draw close. They're seeking to overcome their weaknesses. And they're, they're yielding to the Lord and they're, and, they're, and they're wanting God's help and they're seeking God's help. I can tell them, hallelujah, he's with you. He'll help you. He will undergird you. But he don't stay with rebels. He don't stay with men and women that resist truth. He don't hang around folks that don't want to obey and surrender themselves to the Lord. But show me someone that will surrender and I'll show you a God that is long-suffering and patient. I'll show you a father of spirits who will change you and make you a partaker 
of his holiness. He'll draw you into his bosom and he'll love you with the love like you've never felt or known. Acts 1, verse 7. And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. It is said in Greek literally, it's you shall receive the power of the Holy Ghost coming upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Now what do these passages indicate to us? They indicate to us that Christ has promised his presence to the church in this age. The promise was to his church, his disciples in this age. That was his promise. He is our partner working with his disciples to fulfill the job that he said. You will notice what he said in John. If you look back quickly in John 20, he had said, Then peace be unto you. As my Father hath sent me, so, so, even so send I you. In other words, Jesus was said, What you're doing and fixing to embark upon is going to be a continuation of what the Father sent me to do. The Father sent me here to do this and now I'm sending you out to do this. It wasn't something that was in contradiction of what Christ had come to do. It was a continuation. Acts 1 starts and all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Oh my. I'm telling you right now that we are here to continue the work and the ministry of Christ and he's not leaving us. We're not doing it for him. We're not doing it as something that simply is that we just want to do it because we have nothing else to do. We do it with him. We are laborers and co-laborers with God and Jesus is the foundation that no other can lay and, and no, none other has been laid. And he says this, he is a partner with us. I'm with you. He confirmed the word and his presence is seen in that he comes to convince the men and women that we preach to. Our preaching won't be enough. Our telling the gospel won't be enough. Our being able to give them the word won't be enough. By the Holy Ghost, God's going to have to reach down to a hard mind and a hard heart and pierce through the depth of that soul. He's going to have to do a penetration that you cannot do. When your words fall on deaf ears, the Holy Ghost can pierce into the darkness and get beyond the blindness and the hardness and prick the hearts of men. He is there with us to convince the sinner. He is with us there to save the sinner when he repents. We have no ability to save. All we do is preach and teach. Christ must do the convicting and he must do the converting. When a man gets, gets convicted and he turns to repentance, it's Christ and his blood that is in through the agency of the Spirit that must save that man from his sin, that must cleanse him from his transgressions and deliver him from his bondage and empower him with his Spirit. That's the work of Jesus Christ. That's not the work of the church. The work of the church is not to save sinners. The work of the church is to preach to sinners and to perfect saints. The work of the church is not to baptize with the Holy Ghost. The work of the church is to preach to men and women that they should receive what Christ has sent. I'm not going to let you alone on it. I'm sorry. I don't know who that might bother a little bit, but I'm not going to let anybody alone. I told you I mean to stir you up. This church must operate in the power of the Holy Ghost or it will not be effective in this hour. And you know those disciples you're told to make? They're not yours. They're his. He's in the church. And he's the master of those disciples. We don't teach them to put their confidence in us. We teach them to put their confidence in Christ. Because of our connection to Christ, their relation to us matters. Because of our delegated authority in Christ, 
our message matters. Because we are the present expression of his body, our example matters. But at the end of the day, sir, you've got to have a viable relationship. You've got to have a real, changing, transforming fellowship with Christ. In other words, if you just go to church and you like the reasoning and the presentation of the preacher, you go to church because it's good company. You go to church because the people are there and, hey, you just like the singing and it's nice folks to be around and you enjoy working and you enjoy serving others. It won't do you a lick of good, no, sir. You go to church because you think that the people are good. It won't do you any good. The only way you're going to enter that kingdom is you got to know him. you got to know him. I'm not the door. This is not the door. Jesus is the door to that kingdom and you go in by him and there's no other way out. There's no back door to the kingdom of God. There's no side door to the kingdom of God. Just as the Old Testament tabernacle had one entrance this kingdom has got one entrance and one exit you'll go in by Jesus and if you go out you'll go out by Jesus he determines if you come in and he'll determine if you're cut off Woo, glory. hallelujah 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 Jesus is whom you must come to know So our work is to continue that ministry, make disciples through preaching and teaching. I'm going to close with this, pick it up Sunday morning. I want you to understand that's what our role is right now. The words that Jesus gave to that church to go and make disciples. That's the central thing. He wants to build his kingdom. And you do that by making disciples. That means you've got to preach to them. Yeah, first preach to them. And Christ will confirm that word. So that it penetrates their heart. And they receive it. They come in and Christ saves them. Then begins the discipling process. We begin that process by baptizing them in water. We want to make sure that they're ready to make a break from the world right there. We want to make sure that they're not ashamed of what they've got. We're going to take them out. That's why I don't like baptistries. I like the public place. I do. I like something at least be outside somewhere. At least a passerby or somebody can see us dunking them under. Yeah, look what those folks are doing. Because somewhere, if you're, you don't have a Christianity that you hide. Well, what about these churches that have been in countries where they have to go underground? Well, let me tell you something. Isn't it amazing that those underground churches grow like leaps and bounds? How do you reckon they grow? Not because they're hiding their Christianity because they can't hide it. They may not preach from the street corner. But I'll tell you somewhere when they're working beside one and they hear that person a, a bickering or struggling, they'll say, you need Jesus. <laughs> you need Jesus. They'll preach to him a little bit. Yes, sir. And before you know it, it might have been secretive. That's all right. They preached the gospel and they brought that one into their home somewhere. They may have had a hidden meeting, but that church grows and that church expands. That's what the Lord said. That's what the Lord was doing. And it comes by preaching and then discipling. And that's the chief thing that you and I have got to do. we got to make disciples. Our work is to evangelize the lost and when they get saved and come to Christ we've got to make disciples out of them that means they get to be baptized in water they need to be baptized in the Holy Ghost oh glory they need to learn the word of God they need to learn the commands of Christ and they need to be taught treasure them don't treasure what Facebook tells you don't treasure what the world tells you treasure what the Lord has said I'm telling you because that will make a lasting moment he said he's coming he's coming he said he'll help you he'll help you he said he's true he's true you can put your confidence in him. And the Lord's work with us is to confirm the word, is to baptize in the Holy Ghost, to save the lost, and to master and be head of the people that are saved. That's his work. I think it's time for us to start praying and recognizing and get busy about our job. 
Well, I don't see God moving. Maybe you're not moving. I don't see God confirming. What are you preaching? That makes me check. But that's what I've been praying. God, we need a confirmation of your word. We need something that sets this message apart from the rest of the mess out there. And I don't care whether that is a is some powerful sign or a deep conviction. John turned a culture and never did a miracle. And he turned hearts to God. He had enough of a message that could draw them out of their cities and draw them out to a desert and baptize them in a muddy Jordan River. He could do that. Why? Because he had the power of God. That was a sign enough for me. I'll take that glory to God. I'll take the kind of confirmation that penetrates the dead heart and the hard heart and draws somebody away from their life. I wonder if that's not where we get into somewhere we got to get them out of their toys we got to get them away from their junk we got to get them somewhere where they can settle in for a moment and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ where they're not distracted and realize where are you going sir where are you going madam what is your future what is your life amounting to and somewhere our work has not changed we've got to go make disciples we got to go make disciples until Jesus comes we build the church 